This is Nick and this is Bike Talk. And this is a show out of KPFK, originally from killradio.org. We've been here at KPFK for 10 years. And tonight we have Stephen Box. And Stephen Box has been a presence in the LA bike activism or advocacy world for as long as Bike Talk's been around. Last episode, he did his masterclass session one with Lucas, a senior from Hollywood High. And Lucas has a project that he wants to do. Stephen is taking him through the process of how to how to start a campaign, I guess. Is, is that what you would say, Stephen? Well, you know, we were looking for opportunities to avoid using military phrases. I blew it. <laughs> well, it's interesting to see how much language, how much of our uh, vocabulary, how much of our vernacular is, um, you know... Uh, Militaristic. Mili- yeah, I mean... Well, we just wanted to deliver the, the drone strike to automobiles. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, we, 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 we uh, talk about the war on fill-in-the-blank. We talk about battle. We talk about struggle. We talk about campaigns, uh, blitz. You know, even sports terms, you know, end up becoming war, you know, coming from war metaphors. So I, I was thinking about that, and that's why I love the idea of storytelling as a metaphor, you know, for um, engaging communities, for activating communities, for addressing situations and resolving situations, you know, using the storytelling metaphor. And so last week we talked about, you know, the Aristotle book, Poetics and the Elements of a Great Story. The great stories have um, plot, character, theme, dialogue, media, and spectacle. And I also love the fact that, you know, activists, I believe, the most successful, you know, leaders, um, the most successful activists, the most successful, the most successful people I know are great storytellers. I think that it's the most effective opportunity to to engage folks in whatever the objective is. Tonight, when we were at, over at Paquito Moss, we ran into those uh, that couple from Brisbane. When I was in Brisbane, um, they have this museum at City Hall, and they it, and they had a, uh, a a museum on how the city works, and they and they called it the city as a machine. And when the folks landed in that neck of the woods, they quickly got together and organized themselves, and they came up with public works and public safety and um, public education and and um, public health. Those are the four publics. And they quickly had to organize, but I, and it was really, in, it was a really uh, interesting museum because it not only had the elements from when that uh, section was first settled, and it was a very dangerous area, the elements were dangerous. People were dying from the elements alone, you know, um, and they had to quickly organize. And I, I visualized somebody telling a great story about what they were going to accomplish and in, in such a way that that person could get all those people to cooperate into the four publics. But somebody had to set up a perimeter and establish some, some safety. And somebody had to deal with the fact that it was a really um, unhealthy environment and uh, figure out, you know, and address public health. Um, public works, people had to build things. They built shelters. They had to get water. And, of course, they had to start educating folks because... Um, the point was that whatever you knew, you needed to be passing it on so that we could share each other's knowledge and then, of course, invigorate the next generation of whoever was going to be running this great city that they were building. And so that was kind of an interesting approach to um, you know, building a city. And yet it took a storyteller to uh, kind of paint this picture and engage folks in what the vision looked like and then what the steps were gonna, that they were going to have to take to make that come to, come to life. So anyway, we talked about um, we're here with Lucas tonight, Lucas from Hollywood High. And Lucas was talking about the fact that uh, he has a couple of goals. One is to get everyone at Hollywood High on a bicycle or a unicycle yes. before the end of the year. <laughs> <laughs> so 
Is that true? No. <laughs> okay, half. Mm. By the way, you know, one of the... Mm. Easy, one that's, of the that's a good shot. Yeah? <laughs> it's 1,000 students, though, right? Yeah, like 1,500. Okay. Oh, about, wow. About, okay. Yeah. Um, wow. One way uh, to uh, engage folks in cycling is to do a, a bike rodeo. What's that? It's where you actually... We, we, we sometimes underestimate people's um, lack of familiarity with riding a bike. There are many adults that have never ridden a bike. Yeah, sad. Sad, it is. It's yeah. totally sad. I think that a bicycle... <laughs> Shameful. You know, John Jones III <laughs> was here uh, uh, you know, a few weeks ago, and he's got the um, East Side Riders, and uh, they're just getting kids on a bike. And Yeah, I know, I, know, I know that. Yeah. That guy's cool. Yeah. And so, uh, and then John Jones II has a bike club over at uh, Nick's school, right, Nick? Yeah. John Jones III's father, he had yeah. worked with us all last year Yeah, our school. And so sometimes we forget that a lot of folks, they look at what you're doing and they may, they may tell you it's not safe, but what they're doing is they're communicating some sort of apprehension from their personal perspective, which is you're doing something that to them looks absolutely horrifying you know especially your your school's right on sunset boulevard yeah and uh i mean that's jammed up traffic which is interesting because it's probably safer to drive there or ride a bike there because you can't speed on sunset you can get to about 30 miles an hour and then yeah another red so um it doesn't have the through traffic but anyway uh so a bike rodeo is a way to bring in bike educators and i know that's a term right there that probably turns folks off like bike education Nick, are you? Uh, have you taken any bike education classes? Yes, I have actually. Uh, LCI training. And so, two. so tomorrow you're going to spend the weekend with Ron Durgan of Sustainable Streets. Next week. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Are we doing that? Yeah, tomorrow. So tomorrow you're going to be spending uh, the weekend with Ron Durgan of Sustainable Streets. Um, the League of American Bicyclists, which has been around since the, uh, is it 1880 or something? That sounds right. It's been around for a since long time. The League bicycles. of American Bicyclists, since the bicycles and the good roads movement, and uh, they have a league certified instructors course where they certify, um, in this particular case, Confident City Cycling. And it's kind of interesting because it's a lot of stuff that you, um, the average cyclist doesn't think about the physics of, you know, uh, some of the evasive moves, for example. So they teach skills. One half is classroom. One day is classroom. One day is on the streets. And uh, when it's on the streets, it's 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 some skills. And I know that you ride a fixie. Yes. And uh, so there's some skill. There is. It's there's unique. A lot. Yeah. It's not intuitive. What do, What do you mean by that? Like, oh yeah, just climb on and it comes naturally. It doesn't. You know, it takes effort. Yeah, it does. Got to work for that. <laughs> <laughs> what What prompted you to go that route? Um. Well, the bikes are. They look really nice. They look like sports cars, uh-huh. uh, but better than sports cars, in my opinion. Mm. And uh, some of my friends do it, and they said they love it, and it's engaging. Mm. It opens your eyes. You have to be aware. You, you feel more alive, and I like feeling more alive on mm-hmm. a bike. So, like, it's, it's just another, it's like a new thing, mm-hmm. you know? So yeah. I think that... Uh, I, I've, I I agree with you that when you when you ride a bike and uh, you're connected to the bike yeah and you're paying attention to where you're going there is a sense of heightened awareness that's kind of um, invigorating yes like definitely. you start to wake up 
you know, you're not in a slumber. And it's entirely yeah. possible to spend a lot of your life in a slumber. Um, you know, you sit in a chair, you sit in a car, you, you know, you spend a whole lot of time just sort of in a... But um, the same is true with skiing. If you take your mind off it for a split second and daydream yeah. or look over your shoulder, you know, you end up lying on the ground. And uh, so I think that things that... Um, Things that require you to really be paying attention and connected to to the outcome um, are are uh, awesome for many reasons. But in the spirit of riding a bike, uh, that's where just for a day at a place like your school, there'd be an opportunity to let folks come and ride a bike um, and perhaps uh, take a class. You know, not everybody has access to a bike. And so sometimes just taking some different bikes and showing folks how they work. Yeah. Because not everybody wants to ride a fixie. Not everybody wants to ride a beach cruiser. Not everybody wants to ride a mountain bike. And that's totally cool. Yeah, it is. Um, but where are you going to get the opportunity to try them out? And so if you go to a bike shop, you know, I know there's one downtown that lets you, they have a, um, a track down in the basement hmm. of this large building. It's a bike shop downtown. And you can actually take the bikes on the track. Is, it, is that Just Ride? I don't know what it's called. Oh. It's uh, down on a thing on Broadway. Um, DTLA bikes, DTLA? Could be. Okay. Could be. But the cool thing is that uh, in a bike rodeo, I know that the Palms Neighborhood Council has a bike rodeo every year in a huge parking lot, and they just invite everybody from the community to come participate. The class that Ron, uh, the class that Ron Durgan teaches that uh, Nick is going to be going to uh, teaches LCA, League Certified Instructors, and that's kind of a cool class. But there are also classes, uh, the League Certified Instructors, in turn, teach these great confident city cycling classes um, to just help folks get familiar with not just riding a bike, but riding a bike in traffic. And what are the rules and what are the strategies and, you know, what, how, how do you avoid danger? Everybody always, you know, uh, you know, you got to wear a helmet, got to wear a helmet, got to wear a helmet, as if that's the only strategy. That's a strategy for getting for surviving getting hit, but what's a strategy for not getting hit? And so in the Confident City Cycling classes, they'll teach you half a dozen strategies for not doing something that causes you to get hit. Because to be fair, uh, in collisions, you know, half the things that cause a collision uh, are the cyclist's responsibility and half of them are the motorist's responsibility. So it's very easy to eliminate the things a cyclist is responsible for. You know, don't run reds. Here's an idea. Yeah. Don't, don't ride the wrong way. Oh, there's an idea. Like, there's some things that cyclists can do to avoid getting hit. The second thing is, what can you do to avoid a motorist hitting you? And so the left hook, the right hook, like, what are some different strategies for avoiding when you see it happening? And those are skill uh, strategies yeah. that require some practice, you know, like the quick turn and the quick stop. Oftentimes yeah. you hear people stopping quickly and flying over their handlebars, which is, you know, a great way to get run over. Yeah. But how can you stop quickly without flying over the handlebars? And you have to practice that. It takes a lot of thinking. you yeah. got to think about, like, well, if this happens, would it be easier for me to just hit this car mm -hmm. and jump on its hood? <laughs> yeah. So shall I bail out? But the thing is yeah. that, uh, you, you know, uh, if you don't practice, if you don't have muscle memory, then you're not going to be able to pull it off in a crisis. Yeah. Speaking of muscle memory. Yeah. Did you try out for any sporting events? Yes. What? Baseball. Baseball. Cool. And uh, how did it work out? Great. I've been practicing for pretty much all, all the school year I played last year. Yeah. In this tryouts, I made varsity. Oh, cool. Yeah. Congratulations. Thank you. So you're varsity for the... Uh, 
Hollywood Sheiks. The Hollywood High Sheiks. And, uh, you know, and so that's a lot of, uh, that's muscle memory. You know, you practice, oh, yeah. practice, practice, so that yeah. when the time comes, what position you play? Left field. Yeah. I played right field. I hated it. I spent the whole time hoping they didn't hit the ball too much. <laughs> <laughs> so I wasn't uh, perhaps as passionate as you. Yeah. So why do they say out of left field? I'm not sure. Google it. That came out of left field? Yeah. That is a good question, Nick. Speaking of sports metaphors. Well, I'm thinking it's saying it was unexpected because... I don't know, because a lot of ball, balls get hit everywhere. So, I mean, like that came out of nowhere. That came out of left field. <laughs> That's a pretty good question. <laughs> All right. Are you looking it up, Nick? No. I, I think it's because most people are right-handed, and they would hit on the other side of the field, right? That, no, they'd usually hit it to the left, though. Oh. Okay, I'll Google Cause it. That's why they put me in right field. <laughs> I mean, honestly, isn't that where you put the person that's, like, least likely to participate? You could, well, no. It, de- it really depends. <laughs> but there's a lot of, there's people left-handed. There's a lot of le- lefties in baseball. Okay, I have it. I have it. You have it? <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> the Referring to a play in which the ball is thrown from the area covered by the left fielder, to either home plate or first base, surprising the runner. How can it be surprising? I mean, if he knows where the ball is. Anyway. Mm. Well, if the ball is thrown to left field, then... All right. (laughs) That's weird. Well, real quick, let's get into uh, week two of... um, Week two of uh, the Bike Activists Master Class. Hey, uh, I thought we'd cover things that come in threes. I learned this one from uh, tree people. Strikes. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I learned from tree people that uh, when they plant a tree, they don't just plant a tree. They actually try to get three things accomplished. Is that right, Nick? I'll have to ask my wife. His wife was uh tree person. Tree person. But I understood from when tree people did tree plantings that they didn't just plant a tree. The first thing they did was plant a tree, which is going to have an environmental impact. But they also wanted it to have a social impact, and they also wanted it to have some sort of celebration, some sort of significant, unique meaning. And and I thought that was pretty interesting that they tried to get three things out of one. And so when you're engaged in a project, I think it's a great approach to think of what are the three things that we could accomplish here. For example, if you're going to do fixing Fountain and Fairfax forever, and that's yeah. your project, fixing Fountain and Fairfax forever shouldn't be the only thing you do. Like, could you also use that as an opportunity to engage cyclists at Hollywood High so that after it's fixed, so that after Fountain and Fairfax is fixed, you now have a bike club at Hollywood High that continues to do great work? Like, have you activated or mobilized some folks? And the third thing is, could you have created some sort of community ownership for that? Like, is there some way of celebrating with the folks that live in that neighborhood so that there's some sort of connectivity and ownership it's one thing to do something, but is someone going to stick around and take care of it? Is there going to be some sort of esprit de corps and camaraderie? Is there going to be a sense of community? Like, have you created something other than just, I put in a metal pole and it's still there? You know, like, like yeah. is, so is there a way to create 
Um, is there a way to get three things out of it? And so I think that the tree people approach, we'll give it to tree people. I've heard it, I've heard it mentioned, uh, Eric Knudsen told me that, um, you know, if you're going to be doing some serious hiking and camping, everything you carry has to have three benefits or three uses. So your walking stick is also a fishing pole is also the tent pole. If you're going to carry something, can you do three things with it? Like your tarp can be turned into a tent. You know, it can be used to capture water and it can be used for, I don't know what's the third thing you do with a tarp, but, um, raincoat. Okay. Rain co- yeah, that's pretty good. Okay. But, um, anyway, the point is that, um, uh, that's how they travel light. It's because they really, everything they have uh, does three things. So if you've got some duct tape, it can be used for medical. If you, you know, cut yourself, it can be used for mending. It can be used for, um, um, uh, I don't know what it's going to be used for. Well, you can make stuff out of when you're bored. Oh, duct tape? Yeah. Can't you make, yeah, you can make <laughs> a hockey puck. <laughs> Because when you're hiking, often you find yourself saying, man, this would be a great hike if only I had a hockey puck. Right. Yeah. Right? And, uh, of course. But anyway, that's the, <laughs> that's the, uh, the, first, uh, the first things that come in threes. But the second thing that comes in threes is, I think, the secrets of success. And uh, the secrets of success, I believe, uh, there's three parts. And the first thing is you've got to figure out what you want. And the second thing is you've got to figure out who's got it. And the third thing is you've got to figure out how to ask for it. So in the spirit of uh, fixing... I'm saying Fountain and Fairfax because that's the name of the song, although I think it should be Fairfax and Fountain. But fixing Fountain and Fairfax forever, if we're not careful, we don't know what the solution is going to be. Like, what if it's actually shag carpet and lava lamps? Like, what is it you're looking for? And do we know right out of the gate, or should we consult with some traffic engineers, or is there a better solution? And so the first thing is to figure out what we want. And so we know that you don't like it right now. Yeah, it's dangerous. Yeah. And so the first thing is to really clarify what we're looking for. The second thing is to figure out who's who's got it. Like, where do you go to buy, um, I'd like, two boxes of roadway improvements? Like, do we go to Home Depot? Do we go to Lowe's? Do we go to City Hall? Do we go to, like, where do we go? So the second thing is to figure out who's got the solution. And the third thing is to figure out how to ask for it. Um, and this is the tough one because a lot of folks know how to complain, but they don't know how to state their case. Mm-hmm. And so um, in the spirit of uh, things that come in threes, the, the other, I, the other um, item is, you know, great stories come in acts one, two, and three. And the first act is where you set it up. And so this is what we're going to talk about for a few minutes today. Um, and that's just act one, act two, and act three. And approaching this particular project as if it's a story that you're telling. And in the first section, you know, you're going to set the tone. For example, you're talking about safety. So this is not a joke. This is not a ha-ha moment. This is not a party that you're planning. This is actually, you want to dramatize in people's minds the fact that there's a street that's not safe. Mm-hmm. And the most common cause of death for children today is traffic violence. So this is a, an absolutely serious topic that should be treated with a great deal of respect, severity. And I think that's fair to approach it, not in terms of blaming people for it, but just for stressing the fact that this is a pretty significant opportunity for us to make our streets safer for everybody. And that's a significant uh, benefit to our community. And so you'll, you know, you'll need to set up the, uh, the plot, the character, the theme, and uh, is this gonna be you know, our community versus danger? 
you know, you're going to set that up. And you're going to spend a lot of time uh, trying to figure out who's who, like who's got what we need. You know, just just the basic elements of, of uh, are you going to engage the folks from Hollywood High? I'm not, sh- I'm not sure. Because C- I feel like this is kind of, it's not even in Hollywood. Right. So I feel like it would benefit m- the project better or to include just cyclists in the area. Okay. I don't know how to get to these cyclists. I'm going to be knocking door to door mm-hmm. or putting a poster or s- something. Right. I don't know. I, don't, I haven't really figured that out, but mm-hmm. that would be better. Mm-hmm. I feel because people that live in Fairfax that are cyclists or in that area know that bike lane and know exactly what the issue is. Okay. So we're going to steer away from Hollywood High. Yeah. We're going to steer closer to who's actually riding there. Yeah. And there's a significant chance they're they're just riding north and south on Fairfax. Yeah. And uh, you could go out on any given day and see them. Yeah. And the thing is that there's ones that we can't see, and we're going to have to figure out how to engage them. We can't see them because they're not riding it, but they would if they could, and they would be able to ride it if they felt safe, and they just don't feel safe, so they're not riding. And that's the tough, is to find the invisible cyclists. Mm-hmm. There was a great article written by Dan Coppell called The Invisible Cyclist. Mm. By the way, it was in Cycling Magazine. It's the folks that don't belong to a bike advocacy group. They don't, you know, embrace bike culture. They just absolutely need to get from point A to point B. And they sometimes do it by riding side streets and hiding because yeah. they got to get there. They don't feel confident. And um, Anyway, so how do we engage those folks? And this is all some of the questions we need to answer in the kind of act one, the setup, which is where we just sort of really chew on it and chomp on it and figure out what we've got to work with and, um, you know, what we'd like to accomplish and, you know, the basic struggle. And is it us versus the motorists? I mean, that's the struggle. Or is it us versus the city? Is it us versus bureaucracy? You know, we're going to have to set that up. We're going to have to figure out what what we're um, dealing with there. And to be honest, I don't know. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'd have to go take a look at it, and I'd have to go sit and ponder. And uh, I did look at it, and one thing that's interesting is um, it's not the city of L.A. on one side of the street. Really? It's West Hollywood. One side of the street? Yeah. Which side? The west side of the street is West Hollywood, and the east side of the street is the city of L.A., which might explain. Hmm? That's crazy. Yeah, <laughs> which might explain whenever there's a street like that, it tends to be um, nobody's responsible. You know what I mean? Because you can't – you're not responsible for the whole street, so it tends to not get a lot of love or yeah. attention because uh, folks feel – like they're in a tough spot. Um, <laughs> yeah. So anyway, that's kind of interesting. But you've got now you might end up be be uh, you might end up becoming a diplomat and try to get the city of LA and the west and the city of West Hollywood to work together. You've also got two police forces. You've got the sheriff's department on one side of the street and the city of LA LAPD on the other side of the street. What's interesting is if there's a traffic collision on that intersection in the very center of the street, there's going to be two city authorities and two different police departments, the sheriffs and the LAPD, looking at each other, waiting to figure out where the cars land so they can figure out who's going to do the report, which might explain how things kind of get lost in the shuffle. Hmm. 
That's really interesting. Yeah. <laughs> but but that's kind of the act one setup where we kind of need to poke around and sort of sort of set the stage, so to speak, with who are the characters? What is the plot? Because it's starting to sound now like we need to get the city of L.A. and the city of West Hollywood to work together. So it's almost as if we're matchmakers. Hello, L.A. Have you met West Hollywood? Yeah. West Hollywood, have you met well, L.A.? Well, it's not when you're going up Fairfax, there isn't really an issue. It's just when you're going down, mm-hmm. like the bike lane's solid, for, and then it ends, but it's still a bike lane. Yeah. Because on the other, on one, one, two cross fountain, there's still a bike lane. Yeah. And it, the bike lane's fine. But the, the solid line ends and it's just lines mm-hmm. and there's a fire truck zone. And this is like 50 close to, I'd say like a hundred feet at least. And like that's that's where the cars are turning into to turn onto fountain, mm-hmm. and they aren't they aren't looking most of the time. I mean, if I can go down that street at any given moment with lights at night mm-hmm. or in the middle of the day, and they will turn into me, that's not really safe. Yeah. So it might be to get engineers involved. But that sounds like it's West Hollywood side of the street. I don't know. Yeah, it's just the West Hollywood side yeah. because it's not the uh, it's not going north. Mm-hmm. But regardless, uh, and there there are engineering strategies for um, solving this. There's educational strategies. Um, there's enforcement strategies. There's strategies up the wazoo. But the thing is to engage folks in the strategies. It's a street that requires the um, cooperation of two city departments, and that's not a small feat. It's a big deal. Yeah. Um, anyway, the, the the second act is the big act in any story. Uh, you mentioned earlier how much you like Michael Bay movies, and <laughs> <laughs> who's your favorite director? I don't have a favorite director. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the second, you know, act two is the big act uh, where the real struggle takes place. In this particular case, I don't know if I should say struggle, but it's the meat and potatoes section where the real work is going to be done. And this is where we need to um, lay down the strategy. Are we going to be going to community groups, neighborhood councils? Are we going to city council? Are we going to be meeting with the... Um, West Hollywood, by the way, has a, a bike um, a bicycle coalition organization, doesn't it, Nick? Yeah, yeah, uh, it does. And um, they're really active. We WeHo BC is it? Yeah, yeah, they're good, really good. Yeah, that that's a wonderful connection to make. So the the hero's journey um, might be Lucas, lonely Lucas, working his way up Fairfax and then back down Fairfax, and along the way he meets up with the West Hollywood Bicycle Coalition members and activates them and there's some neighborhood councils around there there's the mid-city uh west neighborhood council but there's opportunities for you to engage folks and pick up some uh characters along the way that'll join you on your plot to in this particular case bring two cities together which is kind of cool yeah this is a really difficult thing to understand (laughs) (laughs) you know the L.A. County is the largest county in the United States of America. It's made up of 88 cities, and that's only 60% of the county. 40% of the county is unincorporated, which means that when you're riding a bike across L.A., 
there's a good chance you have no idea where you are. So yeah. when you're in Hollywood on Santa Monica Boulevard, all of a sudden you're in West Hollywood, all of a sudden you're in Beverly Hills, all of a sudden you're like, you know. So in other words, you keep changing jurisdictions, and all you're doing is riding your bike from, you know, from Hollywood to the beach. Uh-huh. You know, you end up, I think you you get to Santa Monica. I don't think you go right through Culver City. But, the, I mean, there's so many, and the laws change, and that's why it's kind of a good thing that local municipalities don't have the authority to change the law with regards to cyclists. It's crazy enough as it is the way they enforce and it's crazy enough the way they engineer the streets, but um, at least the laws are supposed to be uh, consistent and enforced consistently. But in this particular case, you've got two different cities and two different law enforcement authorities. Um, and so that does complicate issues, and there's a lot of things that complicate this particular street. And plus it's an older, you know, uh, it's, an old, it's a street that's had that engineering for some time now. And so what are the opportunities for us to fix it? And is it a priority? Doubtful. And that's where we're going to have to do some work. Uh, engaging some other characters to help us do some research. Uh, what's the collision data in that particular street? You know, what, what does it look like in terms of collisions? And we can use that then to help our help our case. And um, and so that whole uh, that whole section, you know, the Act Two. It's a shame when activists just keep banging away at things without rhyme or reason. And I think that uh, it's important for cyclists, uh, bike activists, to remember that um, in a story, there's only two types of action. Um, Some folks say it's uh, show power or grow power, that you're either letting people know how many people are on your side and, you know, what you're capable of doing, or you do things in order to grow power, like to encourage folks to grow your organization, to gain uh, to, to help folks gain interest in your cause. So that's show power, grow power. But in storytelling, it would be to either reveal character or advance the plot. So when you do things, it's either to let people know what's going on and, and, and what the the, um, the essence of your uh, position is. Uh, and the second thing is to advance the plot. Like, are you actually accomplishing things, meeting with people to actually get something done? Like, are we going to the West Hollywood um, City Council meetings to let them know that there's a group of people that are um, interested in improving quality in that particular street, and that would be revealing character. Uh, or are we going there because we want them to actually do something, a call to action, and that would be um, advancing the plot. Like we're, we're going there specifically to walk out of there with something, an agreement, an acknowledgement, an endorsement, a deal, a contract, um, a date, a schedule, you know, some engineering solutions, a directive, you know, any anything. Like, that would be um, advancing the plot. And so there's only two things. But I think that one of the things that happens with activists is we kind of get addicted to the thrill, the drama. Like, we go to meetings for no reason other than to be there, ring the bike bell, you know, um, speak in public comment, yay. You know, but we didn't actually accomplish anything other than we were busy. It's kind of like uh, the difference between mosquitoes and, and bees, so there's, they both buzz, and there's a lot of buzzing going on, but one of them makes honey. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, are we really accomplishing something, or are we just having more activist meetings, more activist activity, more activists? And there's nothing wrong with having fun. There's nothing wrong with bike rides. There's nothing wrong with esprit de corps and camaraderie and building the organization. But are we advancing the plot? Are we actually accomplishing something? Are we closer to the conclusion? And that's where it's important to get to the conclusion. I don't know if you've ever watched a movie that never ends. 
No. <laughs> but I've I've seen some that ju- it feels like, geez, this could have ended like a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Um, a long time ago. In, and so it's important that things have a conclusion or a resolution. And so, you know, in a story, that's the act three, which is where you tie off all the strings. And it's important to focus on that. I think that in many ways... Um, it would be so cool if the people that are engaged in the careers they're engaged in focused on an outcome. Like, what would happen if public health actually had a goal of, like, a public that was healthy? Or yeah. what if, like, let's let's work ourselves out of jobs. What if public safety was like, well, what if this neighborhood just got, like, really safe? What would we do? And so you, you sometimes have to wonder how committed people are to the resolution because what would happen to our organization if... L.A. was safe for cyclists. Wouldn't that be, <gasps> what would we do? Cheer. <laughs> Celebrate. <laughs> and so um, I think that there we have, to, uh, part, we have to really be specific about what the outcome looks like and then work towards it and uh, have an exit strategy for the, the, the project. Um, otherwise, we become these perpetual um, uh, advocates that thrive on being the advocate, not on uh, moving on to other things. Anyway, so there's the three acts. There's things that come in three. Um, and for your consideration, uh, looking at um, a project as, you know, as a three-act play or a three-act story where you, you set it up, um, you, know, you establish the, the character and the tone and the, and, and the element. Then you have uh, all of the activity of uh, you know, taking care of all of the business of the project. And then third, tying it up uh, neatly and then resolving it and moving on. For you, by the way, Lucas, it, I think that it would be good for you to document your journey. Um, and I say that not just for you, but for me, for Nicholas. Uh, you know, in um, especially as Nick and I sit here and talk about some of the good old days, there's a lot of things we didn't document that I think we could have done a better job of documenting. Um, and it's a shame because some of the advocacy work gets done over and over because we forget that we should have told the story better and captured it so that um, the lessons weren't lost or the process wasn't lost. And uh, I do know that it's sad, but today we're, it seems like we've gone, we're back where we were 10 years ago in terms of, you know, the mobility plan, um, the um, mobility bill of rights, you know, and and we're still fighting the streets belong, you know, should work for everybody. And I kind of thought we addressed that 10 years ago, but the fact of the matter is here we go again. Mm-hmm. And um, anyway, I hope that helps, uh, Lucas. Um, things that come in three. And uh, with regards to the secrets of success, it does mean that um, we're going to have to figure out who's got what you want because it's the plot thickens when we uh, consider that it, part of it's West Hollywood now. Yeah. How does that stuff get done? Like if a cyclist group wanted to make a bike lane from connecting a bike lane from Glendale downtown LA to Santa Monica, like how, like how would that come about? Well, um, there's many ways, but now you're talking about advocacy groups uh, partnering with um, policymakers. Mm-hmm. And the second thing that you mentioned is Glendale to L.A. So now you're not just working with partnering with policymakers; you're partnering with multiple jurisdictions. So, yes. and you'll probably end up having to put the L.A. County in there. So some of that's going to be relationship building because there's a guy named Abu who's the active transportation 
guy for LA County. There's a guy named Dale who's the active transportation guy for Caltrans District 7, LA County, and Ventura County. So a lot of it's going to be riding your bike to meetings and meeting people for no other purpose than get their name and their card and they're going to be part of your solution. You know, you're going to end up bringing these people together. And uh, the second part of it is um, advocacy organizations, whether they exist or not, and they might not exist and you need to form them, or they might exist. Like for, uh, what's the guy's name from from West Hollywood, Nick? Uh, well, there's a lot. Kevin but there Burton was ta- is the person Taz or, a lot. Taylor oh. Nichols? Is well, Taylor Nichols yeah. is Mid-City West, I think. But there's folks that are already active, and um, so look for them. And the third thing is uh, go to the neighborhood councils and get a feel for the fact that the folks that live, work, own, and participate, plow. Participate, live, own, and work, plow. The people that plow that neighborhood are your partners because they're already doing the work. But if you can get them to help you, um, it's a much lighter load. So how do you get a bike lane from Glendale to where? Downtown L.A. Okay. So from Glendale to downtown L.A., you'll want the help of... Many people. You know, if you were to tell a, if you were to shoot a movie, you would not be alone. You'd have grip, electric camera, hair, makeup, wardrobe. Someone would write the script. Some, you know, someone would produce it. Someone, you know, you'd have all of these folks on the team, and and, and that's the kind of approach you're going to have to take. Is that you're going to need all of these folks, and so you're going to need a um, an engineer that works for a consulting firm that's independent of city authority mm-hmm. that can give you some advice. You're going to need uh, friends within the city structure or within the county structure that can give you some support, but they need political support in order to move. You're going to need to know who the um, elected officials are for West Hollywood and for the city of L.A. I think that's Paul Koretz. Is that right? Or is that David Rue? Well, Paul Koretz I thought was Westwood. D- but I don't know. Do, wh- well, no, but he comes up. Question? I'm sorry. Well, I think Paul Koretz and David Rue have a bit of um, Mid-City West, this neighborhood. Okay. The point is that uh, you're going to need to find out who the elected officials are. And you're going to need to um, engage the local communities and neighborhood councils. And so we're going to the neighborhood councils starting this week uh, with the Mobility Bill of Rights. And so right now, if I were you, I would uh, bring a notebook and I would start writing down names and make a long list of all of the folks that have a piece of the solution. And it's going to be many people. So no one person gets it done and no one person does it. It takes a lot of people to get it done and it takes a lot of people to do the work. And so we're going to be engaging a lot of fi- folks, uh, you know, for your project. Mm-hmm. But what seemed like a simple solution, and it is in many ways, is also a complicated solution because it involves so many people. And that's just on uh, fixing Fountain and Fairfax forever. But if you want to go from Glendale to uh, downtown, yeah, that's cool. But yeah. And there's nothing wrong with a big vision. Um, there was a guy that had the uh, don't green— forget, Don't forget Santa Monica. He said— Right. Well, let's just put downtown and Glendale together, or just one bike lane that connects the I th- that you can get across a good portion of LA. So that doesn't just stop and start. Sure. <laughs> uh, you know, one of the charges we made about a decade ago was that it seemed like municipal authorities put bike lanes where they fit, not where they belong. And so, you know, I see. Um, I see sharrows on mountain roads that have no traffic, but they get to count it as how many miles of bikeway improvements have they put in. And uh, so the thing is that about a decade ago, the Backbone Bikeway Network 
was a network of bikeways that went from west side to east side. It went from north to south. Mm-hmm. It was all the way down to the harbor. And so, um, and in fact, I just posted it on Facebook because it came up in my memories from 10 years ago, the Backbone Bikeway Network. And uh, I think that'd be worth taking a look at because that's an aspirational goal where you say, what would LA look like if you could ride your bike from top to bottom, from left to right, like back and forth? In other words, cyclists would like bikeway support to the places they need to go, not to the side streets that never get them out of their neighborhood. But, you know, where do cyclists want to go? They want to go to work. They want to go to school. They want to go downtown. They want to go to the beach. And that was the... um, that was the motivation for the Backbone Bikeway Network. In other words, um, getting cyclists where they need to go. Nobody grocery shops on the LA River. Nobody works on the LA River. Nobody like. In other words, we put a bikeway facility where it fits. But the fact of the matter is, I want to go to the places there that I go to on a regular basis that have a um, some sort of uh, motivation to get to that destination. It's not just a recreational ride. It's I need to get to the West Side. I need to get downtown. I need to get to work. I need to get to school. So, in other words, where do you go? Where do you shop? Where you know? Where are the places that you would like to go? Mm-hmm. Um, if you were going to go socialize, where would you go? If you were going to go to the movies, where would you go? Um, so, uh, so anyway, that's the Backbone Bikeway Network, and sometimes an aspirational uh, creation such as the Backbone Bikeway Network gives you something to rally folks around, and then you start working on different elements of it, different legs of it, so to speak different chapters if we want to use a story metaphor and uh so maybe we can take a look at the backbone bikeway network and uh um bring it back bring it back so um bone (laughs) so nick good luck with your um lci class tomorrow your league certified instructor class with tomorrow with uh ron durgan of sustainable streets and that's going to be an elwani yeah cool and um lucas good luck uh investigating and setting up your chapter one of the uh, the well-told story that's going to end up uh, not just improving Fairfax forever, Fairfax Fountain forever, finally. But um, also we'll take a look at the uh, Backbone Bikeway Network and see if um, it's big enough for you. Yeah. And, uh, and so we can uh, figure out what kind of journey you'd like to embark on. And as for us, we'll be back next week, next Friday at 7 o'clock. This is where we're going to get it bra- down to brass tacks another chapter of the Bike Activist Masterclass. All right, and I'm going to take us out with some Michael Bay special effects. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know why we're picking on Michael Bay. Well, actually, I do. the spectacle. Actually, I do. Here we go. All of Michael Bay's movies. Thanks for listening to this episode of Bike Talk. If you want to hear more, go to kpfk.org, navigate to programs, and choose Bike Talk. On the Bike Talk page, click on the archives link to play or download shows posted in the last four months. Go to biketalk.com and copy or click on the RSS link to subscribe. Our Twitter handle is BikeTalkPFK. On Facebook, we are Bike Talk. You can become friends and join our group. 